Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss and then I sat there thinking isn't it just so strange that I'm not pursuing something that I genuinely love in order to be able to better pursue something that I genuinely hate Hey, I'm Natalie Drenovac and welcome to The Modern Women, a show that seeks to share the stories and experiences of women that may be out of our line of sight. Today's guest is someone that not everyone would know and that some may not associate with the empowerment of women. But that doesn't deter her from standing her ground, telling her story, fighting for equality and showing women that it is possible to be both powerful and sensual. She has built an empire by ensuring that everyone who enters her studio knows that she's 100% behind their endeavor to love their bodies. And so who am I talking about? Michelle Schoenstein, a.k.a. Michelle Shimmy, founder of Pole Dance Academy. During this episode, we'll be chatting with Michelle about being a lawyer prior to turning her passion for pole dancing into a hugely successful business. We'll go over her perspective on the sport of pole dancing versus the way in which it has been sexualized and stereotyped. And to be honest, I found this really to be quite illuminating and thought-provoking. Now let's be honest, for a generation brought up to think that a girl is naughty if she steps outside the confines of her box and chooses to be sexy, this is certainly going to be a controversial topic and we can't wait to hear more. Introducing the vigorous and intelligent Michelle Shimmy. Um, So before we keep launching into this, I want to make sure I get through the learning about who you were pre-pole dancing, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. So I always like to start with a bit of a rapid fire, just so people can get those quirky random facts about you. So what word would your friends use to describe you? Oh, I don't know. Um, I suppose I'm predictable maybe, or I don't know. I suppose I, no, I'm pretty predictable, but I do unpredictable things. So who was your first celebrity crush? Oh, Christian Slater. <laughs> What's the one book that's had the greatest impact on you? Ooh. I think, well, one of the first big books that I read when I was a kid was The Power of One. And that definitely had a big impact on me. I met the author and everything and he signed my book. Oh, amazing. Said to my youngest reader, Michelle. <laughs> what do you wish you had have known when you started out? Ah. Uh, so many things. I often think of that. I would love to write a letter to my younger self, giving myself all kinds of advice. I think, yeah, just to be bold and to know that people will try and stop you from doing things, not to, you know, to damage or prevent you from pursuing your dreams, but just because they're afraid and their own insecurities, they'll try and tell you what you should be doing, but you don't have to listen to them. I love that. And lastly, who's a female role model for you and why? Um... (laughs) 
I have to say that I really respect female politicians. Okay. Because I can't imagine what it would be like to be a woman in politics, particularly in Australia. I don't always respect what they do as politicians, but to me there would be nothing more horrific than being a woman in Australian politics and having to answer questions about why you've chosen not to have children or alternatively how your children would survive with their mother working on all of those kinds of things. I, I remember watching all of the everything that Julia Gillard went through and just thinking this is horrific. Um, so I really respect the women who have the courage and I suppose, you know, the, the self-belief to go into politics. Um, I don't think I would ever do it, but yeah, I know I find that really, you'd have to be so brave and maybe a little bit nuts. It's so (laughs) interesting that you said that, especially because I definitely want to touch on unsolicitation and like for someone in your arena, how you put yourself out there and the things that people must say or have said. And it's the same kind of contradiction and how women just from being women get such simple and silly uh, I think is a polite way to say comments, commentary said to them. So before we jump into, you know, Michelle Schoenstein becoming Michelle Shimmy, <laughs> I would love to learn a bit more about not just how you discovered pole dancing, but just that little, you know, part beforehand around your career as a lawyer and all of that aspect of your life. Well, when I was in high school, I did a lot of debating um, at like a, at a national state and then national level well I was just a reserve on the national team but I didn't make it to the national team um so I did a lot of debating and I was good at English and I think basically careers advisors in those days that was all that you needed to have done for them to say you should be a lawyer and I definitely got sucked into the idea of law being a really exciting career which it is not (laughs) I mean it wasn't the way that I was that I ended up doing it um it wasn't suits (laughs) <laughs> no, it wasn't Suits, but um, I, think, I think it was Ally McBeal that I grew up watching around that time, so a lot longer ago. Um, but yeah, I thought that going into law sounded really interesting and I liked debating. I liked the idea of, you know, analysing arguments and coming up with – I just liked – I thought that it seemed very exciting. And so I – actually, I, I finished high school and I got my results back. I needed to get 99.95 to get into law at UNSW and I got – 97.8 so I was beyond devastated um beyond devastated. beyond devastated I cried my parents were very they just didn't understand what was happening like why I was so upset about it um but I ended up doing arts media media communications and arts and then I transferred after a year into law um and I did my law degree and then I Went on. I went. I did an internship at the UN, at the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia in The Hague. Um, and I thought at the time that that's what I really enjoyed it, and I thought that that's what I would do. I thought I would do international law, mm. maybe international criminal law. Um, but then my mum got quite sick. Um, she suffers from depression, intermittent kind of episodes of it, and she had a really bad episode. And so I came back to look after her and I moved in with her and then I was offered a graduate position and so I I took that and I sort of thought I'll just do this for a bit until everything settles down again um but then a year turned into another year and it just kind of it went on from there and I was working in pro bono which I really enjoyed um because 
the big firms all have their own pro bono department and I found that really satisfying and I really liked it but unfortunately I couldn't stay in that team. It was a maternity leave position and then I had to go back to the the normal group that I would have been in which was the competition law group and I did that for a while and I just it just really wasn't the right fit for me at all. I think that I felt like a bit of a square peg in a round hole and I had a moment where um, – it was review time, so I had to meet with the partner for my review. And before I went to meet with the big scary partner, I had an informal chat with the slightly less scary partner who told me that her feeling was that everybody really enjoyed working with me because they, they liked my relaxed attitude, but they were a bit concerned that maybe I wasn't 110% committed to working at the firm. And I was just so kind of shell-shocked that they would say that to me because I'd just spent, I think, three weekends back-to-back working over the weekend and I'd been in the office till 11 o'clock every night and I just thought, like, what do you want from me? Like, actual blood, like actual paper cuts and blood in the office. <laughs> and, and then I thought, you know what, this is ridiculous. I'm, I'm actually not 110% committed to working here at all and – I decided to make other arrangements because at that point I was already pole crazy. So you had already been actually learning pole dance. Yeah, I'd been I'd been taking pole classes just like once a week, just for fun. Um, for and about. what kind of got like? Did someone suggest it to you, or did you well, see? Well, it's funny because what happened was I was on the phone to my best friend from high school, and I was just complaining about work, about how miserable I was, and she said to me, "You love pole dancing so much. Why don't you open a pole studio?" And I was just like, oh, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> I thought to myself, I'm a lo- I said to her, I'm a lawyer. I went to uni for, you know, f- more than five years because I did other degrees and certificates and stuff along the way. Um, and I said, I, there's no way, like, how, why would I leave? How can I have this qualification and then not use it? Like, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Like, please don't insult me. Like, I really, I was, it it makes me laugh to think of my reaction at the time because I remember just thinking like, how, what a ridiculous suggestion. But I guess she planted the seed because I went away and I thought about it and I sort of thought, well, okay, I've got this degree that I did work really, really hard for, but does that mean that I have to be a lawyer? Like if I'm, I didn't feel like I'd made a mistake doing my law degree, But if I had mistakenly decided to do the degree on the basis that I was going to continue being a lawyer and then I did the, you know, I I became a lawyer and discovered that I didn't quite like it as much as I'd hoped for, did that mean that I had to, you know, once I'd made my bed, I had to lie in it? Did I have to stay being a lawyer for the rest of my life? And then I thought, well, you know, having a degree should actually expand your opportunities, not limit them. And just because I've done this one thing doesn't mean that I have to do it for the rest of my life. And as obvious as that sounds, it really kind of was a moment where I thought, well, what if, what if I did just open a pole studio? (laughs) And my sister had just gotten back from overseas and she wasn't really sure what she was doing with her life. And I said, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to open a pole studio. And she thought I was mad. And we kind of, we like did a business plan. It makes me laugh now to think about it because we had no idea what we were doing at all. We just kind of, we sat down with a pen and paper and we drew up what we thought was a really solid business plan. And then we were like, well, what next? We had no idea how to do anything Mm. at all. And I searched online for small business 
advice and basically I just wanted someone to tell me how to do it. But there wasn't really anything because this was about 10 years ago and there just yeah, weren't as many simple. online resources at all. I searched high and low and couldn't find anything. So I was like, all right, Mads, well, we're just going to have to figure this out. Um, so we incorporated. We became a company, the two of us, and Maddie walked around telling everyone that she was the director of her own company. Um, and then we, yeah, just set about opening the pole studio. I quit my job in the big law firm and I took a position at Redfern Legal Center. And in my mind, I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll just keep being a lawyer and I'll work at Redfern Legal Center, which I really loved working there. And I thought the studio will just, so long as it can pay for itself, so long as the classes that, that we run cover the rent and cover the pay for the instructors, I'll just be happy to do it as a hobby. Mm. And then it it just kept getting Exploded. bigger and bigger. Yeah. And I eventually cut down to part-time at Redfern Legal Center and then dropped down even my hours even further. And then eventually I just – I felt like I wasn't really doing justice to either of the two and I needed to make a decision. So then I, I left Redfern Legal Center and left being a lawyer behind and, yeah, just became a full-time pole dancer business owner it's so interesting because one of the comments i read when i was researching pole dancers in general was someone was like yeah but you can't actually ever make money from having a pole dancing studio it's very difficult but in terms of also like i think people have this idea that it's not a real thing yeah as much as like when we get further into it you've made pole dance academy into a huge business yeah and there are so many offsprings being like you have the um fashion line when it comes to the performance wear outwear yeah. and just i think it's incredible and along the journey and i think so many women will relate to it something wasn't feeling right but something made you take the leap like what do you think that was for you for me it was Oh, well, I can remember exactly the moment that pushed me to to make this decision to take the plunge was when I was watching, I was a member of the audience at Miss Pole Dance Australia one year and I was watching the girls up on stage perform and they were all amazing. But I'd been doing pole for a couple of years and I was watching the girls on stage and I thought, oh, you know, they're all incredible, but I think that I, I, I'm as advanced as they are because pole was very new back in those days. It hadn't been, you know, it wasn't the kind of level of crazy skills and tricks as it is now. And I thought, I wonder if I could ever compete up on stage there. And then as soon as I thought that, another thought just came in and kind of like stamped on that idea and just said, don't be ridiculous because if anyone at work were to find out, if the Daily Telegraph, because they did publish pictures online, mm -hmm. if anyone in the office saw you, in your bikini on stage performing, um, you just it just couldn't happen. Everyone at work would know and it would just be terrible. And I thought, yeah, you know, that's completely right. I can't do it. And then I sat there thinking, isn't it just so strange that I'm not pursuing something that I genuinely love in order to be able to better pursue something that I genuinely hate? But because of the approval in society? Would well, you say? I didn't know. I was like, why am I doing this? Why am I not chasing this thing that I would really, really love to do in order to be able to continue chasing this thing that I really don't enjoy doing. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense at all. And that kind of, um, I just sat with that for a while and, and I thought, I'm not, I'm not living my best life. I'm not really <laughs> staying true to myself. I don't want to live a life where I feel like I can't just go and do things that, that make me happy. Make you feel good. 
yeah. And I was like, something has to change here. And that just kind of percolated in my mind for a, a while until I had the performance review. And then I thought, nah, enough's enough. Yeah. It's like those gentle little nudges the universe gives you until yeah. you're like, you know what? All right, I'll do it. I think so. And I also had to do a little bit of self-examination. I was like, what, who am I and what is important to me is making, following a really conservative pathway and making lots of money and, um, you know, getting up early every day and running into the office and then is all of that really important to me or would I rather take a very big pay cut and live a different kind of lifestyle? And yeah, that once I really dug into it and thought about who, what did I value and who, who I was, then that changed everything. Yeah. I was able to warm up to the idea, but I was also very fortunate because at the time when all of this was happening, when we were thinking about opening up the studio, it was the global financial crisis in Sydney, well, around the world. And all of the law firms were, they'd put a freeze on hiring people and they'd also put a freeze on pay rises. And that was when I was just about to come off the graduate program. So that was the first time I was supposed to negotiate my own pay rise, um, which I don't think I really had enough confidence at the time to have gone hard on that. But in theory, I would have had a pretty significant pay rise at that point. But I didn't get it because no one got a pay rise, which made taking the pay cut to go to Redfern Legal Center, I think, more manageable. It was still about a $30,000, $35,000 pay cut. But if it had have been, you know, fifty or $60,000 you would have been like, might have been more not. difficult. So I feel that I was very fortunate at that point that all of it fell into place during the GFC because otherwise it would have been a lot harder for me. And I think as well, once, you, once you're on a really high salary, you kind of get trapped in that lifestyle. It's difficult to downgrade. Whereas I was still, I guess, in a bit of a university student mentality. You're still in that growth spurt. Yeah, and it was easier for me to be like, oh, well, so what? And kiss goodbye to that extra $30,000 that would be harder if you were more, you know, if you had kids or if you were paying off yeah, absolutely. I completely mm. agree with that. So what's been the best reaction you either had when you told the other lawyers that you were going to become a pole dancer or just maybe in general, what's been like the funniest reaction ever? Oh, I think the funniest really was that um, my boss at the time, I used to tell him I was going to yoga when I ran off to go to my classes um, on my lunch break or after work because sometimes I would go take a class and then come back. Um and when, when I finally told him, he, he just laughed and he told me that he'd known all along. I don't know how. <laughs> he'd known that I was mad about pole dancing. I guess it was just, I don't know. But it just made me laugh to think that I, I thought that I'd been so successful in pulling off this, keeping this big secret at work that I was a pole dancer on the side. I don't even know why I felt that. No, I do know why I had to keep it secret. It's law firms at that in that era. I don't know what they're like now, but it was a very, um, you had to sort of, I don't know, mind just watch yourself a lot more as a young female solicitor than... Do you think much has really changed though? I don't know, but I did send them an email recently about um, when the, all the Me Too stuff started coming out. I had a little think about some things that had happened while I was a junior lawyer and that had bothered me a lot at the time. And the thing that bothered me the most about it was that I had never done anything about it. I never reported it to HR. I never did anything at all. And it really bothered me that I just let it slide because I thought I felt hypocritical about it. Why do we? 
Well, because I, you know, often I preach, you know, to my students, I'm always telling them to be strong women. Oh, you mean you felt hypocritical that you didn't say anything, but you're telling people right now, hey, if anything happens to you, you stand up for yourself. That's right. And at the time I knew that it was inappropriate, but it wasn't, I just thought I, you know, I knew that it would kind of be career limiting to report it. And I chose not to, I thought I'll just ignore this and it will go away. Mm. Um, but it stayed on my mind, and then when I saw all of the um, all of the Me Too stuff happening, I just sat down and sent the firm an email and said, "Look, these is just thought you might like to know. I know it was a long time ago now, but these are some things that happened to me as a junior lawyer." Did um, you get a response? Yeah, I did. I got a really courteous response, and they said that they they appreciated um, me letting them know and would would I like to come in to talk with them? And I said, "No, not really." <laughs> So I don't know, but I got it off my chest and I felt I felt better about it at that point. It's kind of a funny thing with this Me Too movement, how it's raised awareness to something that I think for so long so many women have known, but we've always, again, been told to, oh, it's just a joke. Just sweep yeah. it under the rug. It's not that big of a deal, but it's how it hurts you inside and what you carry. And also afterwards. just then your ability to work with people again because – I mean, what happened to me wasn't a major, major incident. It was just, well, even now I'm trying to minimize it by saying just, but it was a a partner at the firm when we were out having work drinks groped me, groped my, my, my butt in front of everybody at the bar that we were at. And it made me feel like I just froze in the moment. Like every single thing that people say about the types of reactions that women have in those situations is what happened to me. I froze. I didn't know what to do and then I kind of just brushed it off and snuck out as soon as I could and then did nothing about it afterwards. So it made you feel really small? It made me feel small and then I had to work with him on something a couple of weeks later and I felt so uncomfortable I could barely sort of talk or make eye contact with anyone. My face was red and the, the reality of that is it's it, it means that you can't – how are you supposed to progress and move on and do well in your job if you're having these – you know, these situations with the men that you're working with, especially given that all of the people who are more senior than you, generally speaking, are going to be men in, in maybe not now, but at the time I was working with a lot of, there were a lot more male partners than female partners. Um, and it affects your ability to function at work. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think, to be honest, I think that all of the stuff that happened there really came together to to make me feel like I didn't want to work there. And it's something that I've said to when people have asked me why I left law to go and do, to open my own business. I felt when I was working at the law firm that in order to progress and to do well and to get promoted and all of that kind of thing, that I needed to play by someone else's rules and I needed to play the game and I needed to ignore when my butt got groped at after work functions and I needed to not mind when other partners slipped their arm around my waist and kind of dragged me over to introduce me to other people. And all of these things, I had to just brush those things off and I had to laugh and I had to smile and, you know, not make a big deal of anything. And then if I played the game right, then I could progress. And I thought, I I don't want to play this stupid game by these stupid rules. I don't want to beg for a seat at a table when I don't really like what's being served at that table. I'd rather go and build my own table and invite the people that I want to be there. Even if that table is not as like 
expensive or fancier table, <laughs> even if it's like not as, as good, you know, but it still would be mine. And that would be, I would be in charge of that situation. And I wouldn't feel like I was, yeah, begging for scraps. Have you ever had a situation happen like this again, but with who you are now? Never. Really? So Since, what do you think that Well, this is, is the, the irony. I've never, and it's kind of a bold statement, but there were so many moments where I felt, and it's not everyone's experience. This is just, this is my experience of working in the corporate world. So many moments where I felt I had to set aside my own personal values, um, where I felt degraded, I felt spoken down to, I was disrespected so many different situations I'm not even just talking about um you know little sexual assaults and all that kind of thing but I'm just talking about the way that people spoke to me the way that I was made to feel as though just there were so many occasions like that but since going out on my own you know I've performed in all kinds of situations doing something that you know people might other people might think is degrading which is pole dancing in tiny outfits on stage but I have never ever ever felt disrespected or like out of control in those situations ever, which I think is quite interesting. And when you think about, because I, I see two different stories when I was researching pole dancing and even just like talking with other women about pole dancing. One is, my God, I love it. It's so empowering. The other is it's so degrading. And so what experiences have you seen with your own students who come in? I think that, I mean, the whole the whole argument the pole is degrading or demeaning I think must come from people who have never been to a pole dancing studio because anyone who sets foot in the pole studio understands that it's just women training and dancing and then some men as well. Um, It's definitely a female-dominated sport, which, again, I think is another reason why it gets kind of laughed at and put down because if there were more men doing it, I really do feel like that would legitimize it. Um, and a lot of the time when article, when newspaper articles come out or online articles about the pole industry, they'll say, oh, when men do it too, as a way of legitimizing it. Um, but that's by the by. It is a f- female-dominated sport. And the second you step into a pole studio, it would really, I think if you had this idea that pole was this, yeah, demeaning or degrading thing, you you couldn't maintain that belief if you had actually been to a pole dancing class. Yeah. So it does confuse me when people talk about that. I've had arguments with people online where, you know, they'll start talking about how terrible it is and they say, have you ever been to a class? And they never have. And it's just like, well, you know, go and try it and see what you think. Yeah, isn't that funny? <laughs> I actually have someone quite close to me who had – it was always, I guess, quite shy. Maybe you has how I could frame it. And then uh, she started taking pole dancing classes and then I went to one of the, the you know, the, the end of term performances and I just saw a different woman in front of yeah. me and I was blown away and it was in that moment that I was like, oh, wow, there is something really innately empowering about what this is giving women. Oh, you can't even overstate the impact that it has on women to be able to shed all those layers of shame. And the, by layers, I mean the poor self-body image that a lot of women have, the sexual repression, the shame around sexuality. Um, also, more than li- more likely than not, just the, um, the trauma of perhaps past negative sexual experiences that they've had, all of these things that compound to make women feel very, very 
repressed in being able to express their sexuality and it impacts it just has such an impact on women that the self-hatred and the poor body image and the self-criticism it's all kind of tied up in this package that is unavoidable if you're a female in society from the moment you sort of become aware of the world outside your family you're bombarded with messages about what it is to be a woman and how you need to behave how you need to dress how you need to relate to other men how you need to keep yourself safe how you need to protect yourself how you need to protect your image stop yourself from being perceived the wrong way by men or by other women it's just constant constant messaging And when you get to a pole studio and you go into a pole dancing class, it really is an opportunity to put all of that aside and you can express yourself and your sexuality and your sensuality, embrace it, and it's not a bad thing. No one's judging you, no one's shaming you. In fact, they're encouraging you and they're applauding you, which is it just never happens otherwise, really. What do you think it is about the pole classes that – women start to actually drop all of those layers that they've built up over time? It's that they're being given permission, not even just permission, but they're actually being told explicitly, this is what you're going to do. You're going to, you know, you're going to wear this outfit. Well, we don't tell them what to wear, but, you know, they they start to feel more comfortable wearing sexier outfits um, or smaller outfits. And we say to them, you're going to get stronger, more flexible. You're going to be able to do things with your body, like hang upside down from one leg that you never dreamed possible. And achieving those goals goes a long way to making women see their own bodies differently as well. They start to see it as a tool to achieve, you know, moves on the pole that they never thought were possible before. And once you start to change the way you view your body and your relationship with your body, you start to feel better about it. You feel stronger. You feel more capable. So that's like the physical kind of thing. Then there's the emotional thing, which is that you don't know the weight of the repression that you carry around until suddenly it's lifted. Mm. And there's this woman called Sheila Kelly in the US and she runs S Factor, which is a pole studio, but it's a different kind of pole studio. It's not tricks and fitness based. It's more exotic, sensual dancing based. Um, And she did a TED talk, which I really recommend people, maybe we can link to it in the show notes or something. But she does a TED talk where she talks about – Finding, finding and harnessing your erotic creature, she calls it, which is the creature that, li- that is in every single woman but that is repressed. And it, she talks about the first offence, which is when you're a young girl and it's the first time someone makes you aware of the fact that there's something wrong with your body mm-hmm. as a young girl or as a young woman. And the first time you're made to understand that as a young girl, you're responsible for how other people see you and you're responsible for your body in ways that little boys aren't. And it can be anything. Like I remember watching this podcast, her um, TED Talk, and realizing that for me it was at Christmas time one time when me and my little cousin, who's a boy, were running around with our shirts off because it was hot. And mum came up and told me that I had to put my shirt back on. And I, But she didn't tell him. I didn't understand why. And I started to realize there was something wrong with my little nine-year-old <laughs> your little, little nine-year-old it's so funny because when I was growing up I was always 
I always tell people I was always naked in terms of I was like running around with my undies. And mm. I think growing up, I was quite fortunate because my parents never made me think that it was wrong per se or like my mother, you know, might walk not mm. walk around naked. But do you know what I mean? Like it's sexually, it was sorry, it wasn't sexually. It was more just like nudity. Yeah. And it was spoken about and understood. And so the conversation was also there to have. Yeah. Well, it was the same in my house. We were always kind of in it. That, that was always the case. But I suppose it was Christmas and we had guests coming over. And so I, that was when I was told that I had to put a, a top on. And it just watching this TED talk by Sheila Kelly made me realize, yeah, okay, that I suppose that was the first offense. And then there are many others along the way where you realize that as a woman, society often tells you that you're not really the one who, that, you, that because your body is what it is, it has to be safeguarded and protected. And you have to not only be responsible for your own actions, but you're responsible for the actions of those around you. Whereas obviously little boys aren't taught that. Yeah, it's really different. It's very different. Uh, I'd like to read out a quote before my next question. Men see women as jokes. While men work hard for their money, using intelligence, wile and wit, women never make as much money as men because they choose to sell themselves by stripping naked and call that empowerment. Now, because of these criticisms, something I've thought about lately around the conversations about whether pole dancing sexualizes and objectifies women it's does pole dancing still objectify and sexualize a woman if there is no man watching? Look, I think that women don't sexualize or object. Women don't objectify themselves. I think that men objectify women. You can't objectify yourself. Objectification is in the eye of the beholder. So if, and I, I've written, I wrote a blog a while ago on being a feminist and a pole dancer. That was something I've, <laughs> I've read it. Ago. I've read it. And one of my questions was going to be, because so many articles when I was researching for this was, how can you be a feminist and a pole dancer? Yeah. The two don't make sense. Well, that's what I thought as well, because I've always identified myself as, as a feminist. And when I first started doing pole, I really struggled with reconciling the two because I thought, how can I be a feminist and yet love pole dancing so much I just I was like this doesn't make sense and so I sat down with my laptop and I thought right I'm gonna nut this out <laughs> and, and I really really thought about how the how it could be possible that the two could coexist and I guess ultimately what I came up with was that if you can't well first of all I start from the premise that there is actually nothing wrong with sexuality there is nothing wrong with expressing sexuality and sensuality I think it's an art form I think it's a form of self-expression that's just as valid as valid as any other form of self-expression um so if you're starting from that premise then it kind of changes the framework that you see it in like for me seeing a beautiful woman or any woman I don't mean like just physically perfectly beautiful or anything but just a woman performing on stage in a sexual way. I think it's beautiful. I love watching pole dancing performances. If you can't look at that without in your mind turning that performer into an object, then there's something wrong with you, not with her. And you need to be doing some self-examination rather than writing her off as disgusting or vulgar or whatever. You know, it, it, she is not an object if you can only view her as an object, then that's that's your problem. But do you ever also kind of find it funny why as women we give so much weight to men's opinion of us? 
because so many of the article responses were like, when you're sexualizing pole dancing, it's for men and men go to strip clubs for this and men watch pole shows for this. And it's like, oh, I find it very men, confusing. Men, 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 men. I find it hugely confusing because to be honest, and if you come to the pole, if you come to any pole event at all, and we run a bunch of them, we run pole theater, which has one section of it that a category that is completely devoted to sexy style pole dancing. We also run Dance Filthy, which is an even more hypersexual kind of performance style than um, pole theatre. But if you go to these two events that are very, very sexy, mm. the overwhelming majority of the audience members are women. Okay, and the crazy. men who are there are either pole dancers themselves or the partners of pole dancers who are going along with their partners because their partners have asked them to. There are no big gangs or groups of men who've just come to watch. So I find it, again, it's another example of people not really knowing what they're talking about when they say that it's for the male gaze because it actually isn't. It's it's all women. But even if, even if there are men in the audience who enjoy watching it, I say that's great. Why shouldn't you watch a woman who loves to perform perform why should you not enjoy that it's like the idea of we have to label it as wrong or, yeah, na- exactly. or naughty if you're starting from the premise that there's nothing wrong with sexuality and expressing sexuality then there is no problem yeah. the problem arises if action is it, it, it's not the performers the performers just performing yeah it's it's the person in the audience with the problem based on what they do next i completely understand and agree with that and it's something i wanted to ask you was around when i've seen your miss pole dancer uh 2016 and 2017 the ones that i've watched and the music that you use is so based in social commentary and how you have little anecdotes and then as you're on stage and performing them and you're mimicking that like do you do that for a particular reason yes definitely that performance i called that social media trolls that performance um and it was one of my favorites because Basically, I was trying to come up with an idea for a performance and just before that I'd been I'd logged into my YouTube channel and seen a whole string of really bizarre comments from strange people that were really really critical. And this was I guess before it I was sort of at the start of my social media journey, so I didn't have a huge amount of followers and it still felt quite personal when people wrote really negative comments now it's just water off a duck's back I don't even worry about it anymore but um some of them some of them were so ridiculous in the insults that they came up with that they actually made me laugh and I thought this is so funny and it's really what do they think they're going to achieve are they do they think they're going to stop me from doing this like it's hilarious to me that they would think that I cared what they thought and that it would stop me in some way and that was kind of where the performance came from I wanted to really create a visual like a juxtaposition between the audio and the visuals. So in the performance, I guess at the start of it, I'm just having a, a grand old time on stage, dancing, booty shaking, throwing myself around, doing all, you know, all kinds of pole tricks that you take a lot of strength and flexibility to do. So I wanted to create a really sharp con- um, contrast between an athlete on stage having the best time performing and loving life and then play the audio over the top, which was all of the the comments that, that people made. Because I feel like a lot of the time people will make comments online that they would never say to a person's face when they were right in front of them. And I also wanted to, I guess, make create a performance that other pole dancers could watch and see me just out there doing my thing and not caring 
what people were saying, like, yeah, just letting the comments roll like water off a duck's back. Exactly that. Like that's exactly what's happening on stage. And yeah, hopefully that they would feel empowered by that and emboldened by that because often when people criticize you or slut shame you or make some kind of a comment that is meant to put you back in your good girl box, it does exactly that. It puts you back in your box. And I don't know. I mean, I guess that I've been doing it for long enough now that I've just realized that I don't, that I don't obviously I don't care what, what people say or what they, they think. So I wanted to put that into a performance in the hope that it might inspire others to, yeah, not worry about the criticisms that people are going to make. Yeah, I actually found it a really big thing when I was looking at the crit- the criticisms uh, on either your performances or online that I had been seeing around. And so many of them also came from other women. Mm. And I just kind of thought, isn't it ridiculous how we're living in a time where it's like, let's help other women have a voice, have their voice be heard. And yet they're also the ones who are like, you shouldn't be doing this. And I kind of think if you don't want to do pole dancing – don't do pole dancing, mm. but don't beat down on another woman just because she's feeling emboldened by actually partaking in it. Yeah. I mean, well, internalized misogyny runs deep and also women policing other women is, is you know, a massive way that it's been a massive enabling force for the patriarchy to remain in place for so long is because a lot of the time it's women policing other women. Yeah. So, and I think it's horrible and it's just kind of like if you you know everyone always likes to throw around the quote if you don't have something nice to say then don't say anything at all mm. uh, so we're getting towards the end of our interview I feel like I could keep talking to you for <laughs> hours uh, but I would like to make sure that everyone knows where to find you online poledanceacademy.com.au our pole studios and your Instagram um, which Instagram is Michelle Shimmy and guys I'd go check it out even for the athletic ability and flexibility I get mind blown <laughs> every time I do um, and so the last question I always like to ask my guests is you're standing in front of a room of 10,000 women and you're able to offer one piece of advice what would you say one piece of advice I think that I would say that sometimes you don't know what your dream is until you, or that it's even possible until you build it for yourself. So I had no clue that I wanted to be a pole dancer. I didn't even want to take my first pole dancing class. My sister talked me into it and I, I didn't want to go, but she convinced me. And once I tried it, I fell in love with it. But at the time, there was no career in pole dancing. It was, you could kind of teach pole on the side, but there was no career in it. You could own a studio, but as you said before, very difficult, such a niche thing that it was very difficult to make money in it. Um, but now we own four studios, we run two international competitions and we run a whole bunch of other competitions here in Sydney um, at the studios. And we have a pole wear range, um, I tour, I perform. And all of like this combination of things that makes up my job didn't exist when I started doing pole dancing. So I think if I had a whole room full of women in front of me who were kind of searching for what they wanted to do, I would just say, think outside your box. <laughs> like, think outside what the, the confines of what people tell you is possible because really you can create your own dream job. You might not know what your dream job is until you start exploring your passions and things that really, really motivate you to work hard. Um, because you can, yeah, you can build something that no one else has done before and create your own dream job. I would also say, though, that 
you it's you will not pay yourself for the first couple of years when you start your own, when you follow your own Make passion. Proper like that's financial decisions. To, that's definitely something to consider, but don't let it hold you back either. Because even though, you know, I prob- probably would have had a very different outcome if I'd stayed doing corporate law. I do not regret it for a second. I absolutely love what I do, and it's definitely not a conventional path to have to have chosen. But for me, it's it's perfect, and I love it. I think taking that 35 grand pay cut and making that leap has served you so immensely well. And thank you so much for joining me today, Michelle. This has been phenomenal. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Modern Women. You can listen to all of our episodes over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. If you're not already subscribed, please do click that subscribe button now so you don't miss any episodes that come out each week. If you enjoyed this podcast or you took something away from it, taking two minutes to leave a five-star review or post a story review on Instagram and tag me in it so that we can continue to share these incredible stories with more women who need to hear this message. Original music by Chunky Love and produced by Podpaste. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.